This is Mark 10, 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Thanks, Karen. So, I have a question. If any of you would be interested in being a scripture reader at New Song Church, I would love to hear from you. And um, is it kind of scary? But I'm sure there's some people who, you know, I'd say pray about it. Because it is a powerful thing, you know. Someone said to me when I was first ever preaching, said, Grant, if you at least read the scripture, you've done a good thing, you know. So uh, hopefully what comes after is not so bad either. But thank you, Karen, for bringing the word to us today. But yeah, let me know if you're interested in uh, getting part of a group to do scripture reading uh, on Sunday mornings. How's everyone doing? Tired? Ready for vacation? You got anyone got the post-Christmas blues? All the activity and... No? You're just done. Who's taking all the Christmas decorations down? Who's keeping them up? For one more week? Two more weeks? Three more weeks? Four? Maybe two? What, until April? <laughs> you know? We do lights for a lot of things. You know, if you pick the right color of lights, you can probably use your lights for every season. Just switch them off, switch them back on again for Halloween or whatever. So here we are at the beginning of a new year. Wow, 2022. Isn't it weird? 2022. Um, you know, and we kind of place importance on these sort of dates, something's in our calendar, right? We get, we feel some dates are more important or weighty than other ones. And um, even though they're kind of arbitrary, it's really just another day, another year, another time. But in our culture, there still has this kind of resonance about New Year um, and New Year's resolutions, right? You've got to mention that. Um, anyone made any yet? Made a list? A physical list with a pen, paper? You know, I think New Year's resolutions have kind of fallen a bit on hard times. It may have taken a while, but I think some of us feel a bit cynical due to past track record of how well we kept them. And um, maybe it's just me. But I think there's always been an understanding that resolutions, making these things are kind of often a weak kind of a way to try and change ourselves. Uh, Mark Twain, who wrote you know, Tom Sawyer, all that stuff, on 1st of January, 1863, he wrote, Yesterday, everyone smoked his last cigar, took his last drink, and swore his last oath. 
Today we are a pious and exemplary community. 30 days from now we shall have cast our reformation to the winds. We shall also reflect pleasantly about how we did the same old thing last year about this time. So we can get cynical about it. Can we change? Is this a time to change? It does still feel like somehow though because of this traditional thing that we have of maybe a time to turn over a new leaf, and I'm sure many of us have picked some things you want to change, maybe not written them down, but there's some things we think, man, this is, seems like, I feel like an opportune time, the start of a new year, fresh start. It's also a time, perhaps, to think about letting go of the mistakes of the past year, and I've made a bunch. Uh, hopefully, we have all learned from them, but this feels like a time we can go like, okay, fresh start, there is forgiveness to move on. This uh, uh, writer, Brooks Atkinson, I've always liked this quote, drop the last year into the silent limbo of the past. Let it go, for it was imperfect, and thank God that it can go. But so we have this kind of New Year thing, and because of the traditions around New Year and, and re, uh, you know, resolutions and all that stuff, throughout my years of like pastoring and preaching, it felt like the first message of the year was like a lot of weight on it, right? It's really like very important and I think sometimes we pastors like join in with this uh, work of good intentions and new habits. Like, for example, we encourage everyone to start reading the Bible in a year, right? It's like, that's going to make the change, just start, you know? And then we have to say some things like, you know, if you fall behind, don't feel so bad that you have to read 25 chapters, you know, in one day. But, you know, it's not a bad thing. Reading the Bible through in a year can be a good thing. If, if anyone's going to do that and you get to the book of Chronicles uh, and it gets a bit, like, difficult, feel free to call me. I'll be your cheerleader. We can talk about it um, through all those genealogies, begats and begats and begats, right? But it's not bad. But I think uh, we often do that as pastors as a weight on this first of the year. We think, like, okay, both for ourselves and others, this is going to be the one I give the inspirational message that's going to make all the difference, and everyone's going to change and start a whole new way of living. And so we write messages entitled things like, starting the new year right, right? That's going to do it. Or, you do you in 22. <laughs> Thanks to Linda Tridy for that one. I asked her, I said, could you come up with some titles? And she came up with like a lot of them. I'd be happy to share them later, the other ones. This is one of mine, 22 reasons to feel hopeful in 22, right? In 2022, that's a long sermon though, 22 reasons. Uh, but we're not doing that today. We're not going to do some special inspirational message that's going to change all of us for the next 365 days from one message, one fantastic, charismatic, Scottish-accented perfection that's going to transform all our lives, because I don't really think that's necessarily possible, nor is it the goal, Right? We, want to, we are changing, we want to change, but it's not that simple. Uh, what we're doing today is diving back into the Gospel of Mark, and the text today actually couldn't be better as far as a start to a new year. It's a really an amazing passage that Karen read for us, and it sits at this really important moment of change in the story of Jesus. Um, it's a very unique place in Mark's Gospel. And I think Mark really wants us to pay close attention to this event that we read about this blind man and this healing in, in, in relationship to what came before, the whole story up to this point. And then there's this clear definition of this portion of text just hanging in the middle of what is then going to come afterwards as Jesus goes to Jerusalem towards arrest, towards death. And Mark really wants to just have a banner above this. It's really a pivot point about, about which this whole book of Mark uh, turns. 
huge sign saying, pay attention. It's interesting, Mark doesn't tell us anything about Jesus' time in Jericho. It was a very big and important city, and it almost seems like he just walked through it. But Mark spends a lot of time on this one incident with this one man on the road out of Jericho. It's a very interesting text in some other ways too. I think it's, this is all the reasons why I think is this kind of a spotlight shining on this text in the middle of Mark saying, pay attention to this. This is really important because there are three firsts and one last in this passage that make this really unique. The first first is that this is the only person in Mark who is healed and who we are given his name. This guy gets, we get his name Something very different about this. Pretty much everyone else healed in the, in the Gospel of Mark, we have not known their name, but this man is named Bartimaeus. The second thing, the second first, is he's the only person in Mark who, after being healed, immediately goes and follows Jesus. He follows him. It's the only time in Mark's Gospel that Jesus is called by the name, the Son of David. It's the only time this occurs. People call him all kinds of things, but this one man calls him son of David as he's about to enter into Jerusalem. And then the the last, the one last, is this is the last person Jesus heals before he enters into Jerusalem. This is this part, this ministry of healing, this is the last moment of it. 15, 17 miles from Jerusalem, he's walking along, is interrupted into this situation and heals this one last person before heading towards this incredible cataclysmic event which will bring healing to the whole world. So, Mark is definitely calling us to pay close attention to this text. And what might uh, this want to teach us? Well, this sermon series we're calling This Is Jesus. We're having some technical issues, so... So hopefully I can do it without the visuals, you know. What did they do back in Gospel of Paul's day, you know? They didn't have projectors, right? Okay, so I'm going to do, could, Melody, could you kind of interpret what I'm saying, like some kind of like movements over here? Would that be good? We just can't survive without visuals. Um, what he wants to tell us is a few things. Um, and the main point is this, as we've seen, Mark's primary desire is to create and to teach and encourage disciples of Jesus. So it's all about that. This sermon series is called, This is Jesus. This is what we are saying is the most important thing for us to understand. And everything else in life can find its place around this relationship with Jesus. Um, So Mark would probably tell us if he were here, and in some ways in spirit he is perhaps through his writing, that if we were to prioritize one thing this new year, it would be our pursuit of Jesus, to consider ourselves first and foremost out of everything to be His disciples, to let everything else in life find its place around this one priority, around this relationship. So all of our habits and our health and our relationships and our work and our schedules and all that stuff, to let our relationship with Jesus Christ as His disciple form itself around that priority that that is first in our lives to take a look at our lives, to be people who are called towards single-minded resolution, our New Year's resolution towards single-minded resolution to be followers of Jesus. So it's about discipleship, this passage, as well as healing. So let's talk a bit about discipleship. What do we see about what it means to be a disciple uh, from this uh, incident, this moment, this story? 
Well, the first thing is that discipleship is centered around the person of Jesus. It happens in the orbit of who He is in our relationship with Him, and in several ways. The first way is this. Disciples are always growing in their understanding of the identity of Jesus. If you think about, you know, God in the flesh, like that's the eternal, in all of His qualities, the creator of heaven and earth, the greatest thing you could ever conceive, and yet there's still more, and then encapsulated in this, in this human being, Jesus, but yet He remains God. So, there's always more to discover about who Jesus is, and especially, not just like uh, theoretically, but experientially, there's more to encounter and experience in our lives of who He is. And the picture that we have should, over time as a disciple, be expanding and growing and deepening with moments of doubt and, and, mis and trying to figure out what's going on, but it should be growing for us. And this is what happens with this man. It says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he calls us out twice. This is what he wants to call Jesus. This is what he has heard about Jesus, what he understands. And this term is really something from his past in the Jewish faith about the son of David who would come and set the people free from oppression. And he understood something about that that was special, significant. He is blind, but he hears Jesus is coming, and he is compelled to call out this title. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Peter does the same thing earlier on. It's amazing. There are so many parallels in discipleship throughout Mark. Peter did the same thing. Jesus was saying, who do people say I am? And all these, all these different answers, see, these different ideas of the identity of Jesus, some of them closer to the truth and some of them a bit further away. But he asks his disciples, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah. Again, this incredible term of something that the people have been longing for and hoping for through centuries of oppression, struggle. So different titles, Son of David, the Messiah. Neither person was fully formed in their understanding of who Jesus was, but what they understood was apparently sufficient for them to take a step towards Him. They didn't know everything about Him. What about us? In this new year, we start the new year with a certain impression of who Jesus is. And that's something that can grow and it can expand. And there's a limitless amount of experience and understanding of this man, Jesus. People throughout millennia have sought him and have encountered him in the midst of life in unique ways that were so tailor-made to their current human experience. There is always more, and the disciples are growing all the time in their understanding of this identity. The second thing is disciples are called by Jesus. Intentionality. They are called. He knows our name. So Jesus stopped in this story and said, call him. Call him. It's just amazing, I think. You know, you think about the grand, um, the grandeur of Jesus' mission, that He is coming to bring salvation to all of creation, not just humans, but to redeem all that has been broken by sin. 
that's like on this one level, it's this, it's this cosmic happening. Even though we see it as he, the dust on the ground and the dust in his feet and he's walking and he's talking and he's sharing, but there's something momentous happening and it is of vital importance. But then this man appears and this mission of God is interrupted for this one man alone. This story, this story of salvation, redemption of all of creation, this grand theme and story is interrupted for this one man alone. And Jesus says, call him. Call him. And Jesus responds to that. And he calls us. The 12 disciples were also called. This is the very same Greek word used for calling this man as it was when in Mark earlier on we hear Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted. Not that he didn't want the other people, okay? It's just the way it's written. But he wanted them for a particular reason. They came to him and he appointed these 12. And their names are given. Simon, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So I'm going to ask a question today. Are you called? Has Jesus called you? Is he calling you now? In some ways, it's very simple. And I can say the answer is yes. Yes. He is. He has. He will. He persistently will call you because he loves you. And a, and, a, and a father's love, we sung about a good, good father, perfect in his, all of his ways towards us. This is what we need, and he knows that, and so he calls, and he woos, and he beckons. But in some other way, it's very mysterious. It's not simple. Like, I wish sometimes that I could be the one, the puppet master who called people to Jesus and, like, argued them into the faith, persuasive. My persuasive powers were so great. But there's a mystery. And as the Spirit moves in our hearts, there's an unseen drawing of our hearts and our longings and our desire to Jesus, not to a pastor or to a church or to some version of a better life, but to the person, Jesus, who knows your name and who calls you by name, who sees exactly who you are and is able to meet you in actually the hardest places of life and call your name and say, come to me, come. And so then disciples choose Jesus over all else. We step into that world forsaking other things. You know, everything in life, to make a choice for something, you have to choose for, to not have other things. And this is certainly the case here. And in this story, there's a couple of things that this man sets aside to go to Jesus. And the first thing is possessions, and he did not have much. He's begging by the side of the road. He maybe had a few coins. This was a time when all of the pilgrims were going into Jerusalem to go for the Passover feast. So they were, the road was lined with people and the beggars would be there because this is a good opportunity for people to do good acts on their way to Jerusalem to go to the festival. And so it's a, it a good, good time to be beggar on the side of the street. So he's got his cloak probably spread out in front of him uh, for people to, to throw money down. But as it says, as soon as he was called, it said, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. This is his only possession, probably, this man, his cloak. It was his warmth, his protection. 
and security. It was something he had. He could perhaps trade if things got so bad. You know, earlier in this chapter, we met a young man, if you remember, if you heard this message about a young man who had a great deal of wealth. And it says that Jesus looked at him because the man came saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. And the, and the young guy said, I've done all these things. I've done everything. The law followed it perfectly. And Jesus looks at him and says, and loved him, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this man, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And it's not about how great his wealth was. It's about a comparison between how compelled he felt. Would he step into insecurity, perhaps, for something that was more secure in Jesus? So this, this guy, is, he's Mark's saying, look at this man. He just left his cloak. It's like, maybe the price is right. You know, that's, that stupid show, man. When I read this passage, I thought the price is right. He's like, come on down. And he's like, you know, like the same abandon that these people race down the aisle to the front for the greedy whatever they're going to do, right? <laughs> but this guy was like, I'm going to win the prize. I'm leaving all my stuff behind. His name was called. The second thing that he had to choose to leave to follow Jesus was this, the fickle opinions of other people. It's amazing, like, when you read this, this uh, he gets shouted down. <laughs> He's like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it says, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. He was not going to be shut down by whatever reason these people were telling him to be quiet. Was he disturbing the peace? Was he, he's a scummy beggar. Be quiet. Well, then, after that, after Jesus calls him, it says they encourage him. They're like, hey, cheer up. He's calling you. It's like, you know, someone's in life, if we, if we go according to the opinions of other people or what they think we should do, we're going to end up like to and fro, just like twisting. You know, one minute it's like, sit down, shut up. Next minute it's like, woohoo, he's calling you. Cheer up, go. But he was going to go anyway. So Jesus says, in response to this man's persistence to leave and to go. Your faith has healed you. Go. And it's interesting because Jesus says go. And what does the man do afterwards? He follows Jesus. It's quite interesting to say he just got his sight back. You know, I think the first thing he would go and do is, you know, go, go and watch the, his best, his favorite TV show or something. You know, finally get to see, you know, Ted Lasso, uh, you know, in picture or color, whatever the TV shows were back there, I don't know what the TV shows were back in first century Palestine. But he uses his eyes, his new sound sight, to focus in on Jesus and walk the direction he is going. That's the first thing he does. He's, his going is to follow Jesus. So, interesting enough as well, you think about context, it's really important in the Bible to think about, if you get a passage of Scripture and you're looking at it, to think about what came before and what comes after is really important. And Mark, we've seen, is really skillful in writing his story. There's all these touch points. I've been trying to, whenever I preach, read all the way through Mark again each time as best I can to try and notice where things connect that bring meaning uh, to our story and to our lives. 
And, and here there's a big contrast with the 12 disciples. These 12 who've been following Jesus for a long time. And we, we've noticed uh, Josh and Melody had preached, I think we were still outside there in, on the lawn when uh, they had many, many times when they failed drastically to get it, okay? Um, and one of the things that's amazing is that uh, you notice patterns in Scripture when Jesus asks the same question to different people. And earlier on in, in Mark, uh, Jesus asked his, his, sorry, his disciples, um, what do you want? Oh, sorry, I'm in the wrong place. Let me see. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> so he asked this blind man, what do you want me to do for you, right? And what does the man say? I want to see. Well, earlier on, he talked to his disciples the same thing. What do you want me to do for you? And they said, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And then they were arguing about which is the greatest on the road. There's a real contrast between uh, this man and the disciples who have been following Jesus to this point. And I think something that we can understand from this is this, that um, people who have experienced the grace of God in a major way, in a powerful way, when they have been at such a low point and they've been called and they have come and they have received and they rejoice, are often the first to understand the humble way of service to other people. I've noticed that. People who have been so broken. I know a few people here today who have had such brokenness and have experienced the love and the grace and the restoration of Jesus and they are servants. And this man is very much like that. He he experiences this healing, and then he follows Jesus. Earlier on, we hear about another person right at the beginning of Mark when Simon, Peter's mother-in-law, was in bed with a fever. And they immediately told Jesus about her. He went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. It says the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. And that just sounds like cooking and cleaning, but the word to wait in, in the NIV means to serve, to minister, to care for. What Jesus did in, in the healing, uh, both this woman and then in this man, Bartimaeus, has resulted in this compulsion towards service themselves. Discipleship is empowered by the deep longings that we have for what is being lost. This man was in a low, low place, and he believed that in this Jesus of Nazareth coming on the road was his rescue, was his salvation, was his hope. And from that place of longing, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the second time, son of David, have mercy on me. And then he shares what it is that he needs. He says, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. You know, blindness is used a lot in the Bible, uh, both uh, Literally, but also metaphorically. Metaphorically. And I think we can see both here because Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem. We've seen these religious leaders who appear to be blind to who he is and what he's doing. And then Mark tells us right in the central part by this man who wants to see. And in being healed of his blindness, seems to have been saved into following Jesus also. So what longings are we experiencing right now? At the start of the year, what, what do you need? What do you think you need? If Jesus was to ask you right now, what do you want me 
to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What would you say? I think sometimes in church we get all freaked out about that, we get guilty. I've known some people who say, I never pray for myself. Seems selfish. God has a lot of other work to do. You know, this tells us that there's an honest question that comes from Jesus where he says, what do you want me to do for you? And I think the greatest thing we can do this year is to express from the depths of our hearts as often as possible, this is what I long for. And I think we are blind in many ways. I think some of us think that we see things so perfectly and clearly, but this tells us, I think, that we all have so many blind spots. And of course, sometimes we're going to respond by saying, you know, I want this or I want that. But he wants truth to come from our mouths and our hearts. He says, knock, the door will be open. Seek and you will find. Ask and you will receive. This is part of discipleship. It's a relationship and a conversation. What is it that we want, that we need? The final thing is this, that discipleship isn't a program. You know, we can do lots of things that are programmatic. We can read the Bible in the year. We can have a daily devotion. But I think what this story tells us really clearly is that discipleship is really our daily lives. It's what happens just in the highways and the byways, the comings and the growings, the cookings of a meal and sharing it with friends, uh, even, even the difficult things, having a, a, a disagreement with somebody or, or worrying about your children, all of these things, it's, it's what's happening. Bartimaeus did not have an appointment with Jesus. You know, he had not called up and said, hey, one o'clock, rode out of Jericho. Can we meet and do some spiritual business? No, in the, in the course of his daily life, in his need right there, sitting by the side of the road with so many people passing by, most of whom caring nothing for him, he encountered something profound, and it came out of his heart, this longing, and he expressed it, and it was responded to, and he was called, and he engaged with Jesus, and he expressed his honest desire. There was no judgment from Jesus. He didn't say, well, that's a bit of a selfish thing to ask for, to see. Jesus took him at his word, and it was the fact that this man called out with expectation that Jesus could do something about this, that Jesus responded to. It was his faith. And then he followed Jesus because he had been encountered by him for real. William Barclay, who's a fellow Scot, Scottish guy, lived quite a long time ago, but he wrote a whole bunch of commentaries, and they're pretty good. And he talked about this man and said that he began with need, he went on to gratitude, and he finished with loyalty. And that is the perfect summary of the stages of discipleship. So the year ahead, you know, I think it's good for us to think about how we might want to change things. Our schedule, our workaholism, <laughs> whatever it might be, fitness, habits, all that stuff. But I think the most powerful thing we can do 
which actually will take care of a great deal of that, is to set out to prioritize, to be a people of resolution towards our discipleship of Jesus. Because so many of the things that we find that are off in our lives, the things that cause us harm, are because of misplaced desires or a hunger that we're trying to satisfy, whatever it might be. And Jesus is the one who does satisfy us in the deepest parts of our lives. So if we prioritize him, many of the things we're worried about will start to just kind of make sense or, or just start to sort themselves out a little bit. You know, really, it's like Alcoholics Anonymous have some great wisdom for us, you know? You know, and, and really, it is that we are all somewhat addicted to all, all the things that, that just draw us away, you know? And, and the primary thing is to focus our hearts on Jesus, to let him satisfy us, and much of the things that plague us will start to get better, Yeah, it's a new year, guys. So make some resolutions. But I think the first thing to do is to be honest with God, bring ourselves to Him and say, this is the year that the Lord has made. You have called me, you know me. Here I am, Lord, and trust He will lead us down the road. We're going to have communion now as a, as a means of responding. So if you have your little uh, communion cups... And we'd like to participate. We're going to read some scripture together by, by means of a response. These little things remind me of Indiana Jones, which is what the cup was supposed to be, right? It was the cup that he was supposed to pick the right one. And uh, this is the humble cup. But in, this, in, in doing this, this is simply a first step, you know, I can promise you that doing this today with a full heart, an open heart, okay, as much as we're able, in the next 10 minutes, probably nothing will change drastically, okay? I think sometimes we, we, expect, we, we try and tell people that, you know, there's going to be this overnight transformation. It can happen. But what this life is about is about a steady walk in the same direction, walking with Jesus. And so as we take this bread... It's an act of faith saying as we do this, as we affirm our belief and our trust in Jesus, he will do his work in our lives over time. And some of you who are older can testify to this, can't you? There's been some weird turns and twists and stuff. But looking back now, you can go, wow, I see his faithfulness. And at the time, I didn't really see it. But if I look back on the sweep of my life, I can see that he was doing his good work in my life. So first of all, we're going to read this passage from Philippians together. And this is from the message. Ready? Okay. The very credentials these people are waving around as something special. I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I thought I had going for me is insignificant, garbage. 
I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. We take this bread, and we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. He has done it. It is finished. We are his. He is working. We can trust him. We offer our lives to him. In light of the forgiveness he offers, that our sins have been cast away from us, we are forgiven. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. Bless your name.